0: well coming out of the pandemic uh, the workforce changed pretty dramatically didn't it Uh, it seems like there's a shortage of workers everywhere you turn and still at the same time there are people who want to work but haven't been able to find something that fits and i can't remember where it was but recently i was speaking with a server at a restaurant who had only been there for like two or three weeks and she was already being expected to do on-the-job training for new hires. And she herself was still trying to figure out the systems and the processes and what it really is entailed in that job. Um, Because really her cup of knowledge and experience, for all intents and purposes, it was empty, and just as an aside, this is a prime time for us as followers of Jesus to step up and model patience and grace and kindness to those who are in such a position. I mean, this is an opportunity to be a gospel light to people who are carrying heavy weights. So, so don't miss the opportunities when we come, even when we're in a stressful situation or don't receive the service that we think we, we should in a setting. Anyways, Uh, I want you to consider the importance of on-the-job training it's absolutely essential to keep a business running beyond a single generation like a startup company it can exist and continue to operate with the original team in place fairly well but when they start to bring on new hires when they expand the team uh, bringing in new individuals with different backgrounds, different work experiences, different um, ethics in the workplace, the, the ship can slowly start to turn. And it's similar to like a boat in the ocean, that if the, the rowers lose their oars, it's all of a sudden adrift. It's not moving forward in the direction it once was. Instead, it's being tossed by the waves, totally directionless. And this is part of the reason we remind ourselves of our mission each time we gather together. So that we do not let go of the oars and become adrift. We stay focused on the path. Um, And remarkably, as we look at Jesus' example, and maybe it's just his uh, supernatural wisdom at work, but Jesus was super intentional about the -the on-the-job training for his disciples. He knew that the plan was not for him to remain on the earth physically. Instead, the future of his church and his kingdom rested in the hands of his disciples. So when he called them, it was not just a call to follow, it was also a call to be sent Jesus knew that he would be sending his disciples to carry the message, to carry the banner, because he would not always be here. Now remember last week, we considered how Jesus is Lord, that he is over the storm, he's over the demons, he's over sickness and death, he's over it all. And continuing from that line of thought, as we turn to Luke 9, we'll see how he carries out his lordship with his disciples, how he reveals that he is still over their lives and their ministries. So if you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, and we'll see what sort of on-the-job training Jesus does with his disciples. This is Luke 9, verses 1 through 6. Summoning the twelve... He gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Now, have you thought about how incredible this is? Like, Jesus would essentially hand his disciples the keys and say, see what she's got. I mean, he is empowering these guys who he's only known for a couple of months, and he's giving them power to cast out demons, to heal the sick. He's literally giving them power from heaven, and he's just entrusting them with it and sending them out. Now, think about the most valuable thing in your life. Maybe it's an item, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a a position, a role, a responsibility. Whatever it is, how willing are you to place it in the hands of someone else? And remember, Jesus had only known these guys for a few months, and he literally gave these men, who Luke later describes in the book of Acts as untrained and uneducated, he gave these men the most important role in human history. He told them, cast out demons, heal diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God. And do you remember the message that Jesus proclaimed back in his hometown synagogue? He said that he was sent to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is exactly what he was sending his disciples to do. He was sending them as his representatives. Now, why do you think Jesus was able to send these guys so easily? I mean, personally... I get upset when I see someone driving recklessly with a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of their car. (laughs) I'm like, do you know who you're representing right now? But Jesus, he sent out the 12 knowing full well. By the way, that's why I don't have a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of my car. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus knew full well that these guys still had a lot of growth ahead. They had a lot of development in store. They were far from perfect and he still entrusted them with this responsibility of proclaiming the kingdom of God. And I think as a whole, the church, at least from what I have observed, has not done a great job in our approach to sending. We're starting to improve on that, but we tend to fall into one of two categories. Either we don't send anyone because we're waiting for that perfect candidate to come along who doesn't actually exist, or on the other end, we, we sinned flippantly without giving them the tools and the resources required to accomplish the mission. So either we don't sin at all, or we sin without support that, that is needed. But what did Jesus do? He gave the disciples power, authority, and purpose He gave them the tools required for the mission. And then he sent them, even though he knew that they weren't perfect candidates. And why do you think he did that? I believe it's because he understood that the future of his church and the future of his kingdom rested in the hands of his disciples. And what his disciples needed, though probably not what they would have asked for, was to know that God will provide for them. That the power wasn't cooped up in Jesus' physical body. And this experience, being entrusted with the mission and provided for by the Spirit, it was absolutely essential for the disciples to be able to continue on after Jesus ascended to heaven, after he had accomplished his purpose on earth. And just a practical note here, You've heard me say before, and I will certainly say it over and over again in the days and months and years to come, you need to be preparing your heart to go. Now, part of our mission, our model here at Overflow is that we are a sending church. And that may seem crazy at this point where you look around and you see all the empty chairs around us in the moment, but we need to be preparing now to be a sending church. And that means that we are intentionally praying and preparing for opportunities to see the kingdom expanded all around us. If you look at the overflow map out in the lobby, you see the pinpoints of where we live, work, and play currently. And I want you to dream with me for a moment of what that map, Lord willing, will look like in five or ten years where we not only have the places where we live, work, and play, but we also have other worship gatherings all across the region where brothers and sisters, maybe some who are here with us now, maybe others who come in time, where we'll make the kingdom decision to leave this gathering in order to see the gospel move forward in other communities where the Spirit leads them. So prepare your heart now. And be willing when the Lord says that it's time to move. And we'll do it joyfully and tearfully. But the gospel goodbyes are for the kingdom. So let's jump down to verse 10. And we'll see what happened after the disciples returned back to Jesus. Verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we are in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them we have no more than 5 loaves and 2 fish they said unless we go and buy food for all these people for about 5000 men were there then he told his disciples have them sit down in groups of about 50 each they did what he said and had them all sit down then he took the 5 loaves and the 2 fish and looking up to heaven he blessed and broke them he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd Everyone ate and was filled, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Now the disciples came back to Jesus, and they shared all that they had done. And as is sometimes the case, word got around and the crowd started flocking to Jesus. And Jesus, he began doing exactly what his disciples had done on their missionary journey. He taught these people about the kingdom of God. And he healed those in need and then as the day wore on, the disciples seemed to think that the best way to care for the crowd was to send them away let them go find food we can pick this thing back up tomorrow and they recognized that the limitations based on where they were at there was no market, no food source nearby so they suggested to Jesus that he just send them all away. now this doesn't sound unreasonable and Jesus didn't rebuke his disciples here, but instead of accepting the limitations of their situation, Jesus had another idea. He told his disciples, you feed them. I mean, they had just been given power from heaven, and they believed that was limited to just casting out demons, healing the sick. And Jesus was... Expanding their understanding of what God can accomplish. Jesus took what little they had available and he multiplied it exponentially. And when he did so, Jesus was strengthening their faith. Now, this next illustration, it falls far short of Jesus' miraculous provision here. But I began running again last summer and I used to run cross country in high school and ran track, but I never really enjoyed it. Like I was literally the guy who would try to see how many miles I could cut off of the run without the coach noticing. Um, and it was just something I did because my friends were doing it. Um, so I ran, but I wasn't really committed. But I started to pursue it again as a way to clear my mind and try to, to regain some of the strength that I've lost over the years. Anyways, I started to enjoy it more and began to see some positive growth, so I started pursuing it more. Um, and then a few months ago, I decided that I really wanted to accomplish something, so I, I signed up for the Casey Half Marathon that's coming up in October, and I've, I've never run anything like this in my life. Uh, this is a little over a 13-mile run. And my limit, even at my best in high school, was a pretty pathetic 5K, so just over three miles. But I've been using this app, it's called the Nike Run Club. And the beautiful thing about this app is there's a pre-recorded coach um, who's giving like encouragement and tips on form and pace and rhythm and funny little motivational quips throughout. And it, it may sound strange, but this, this little pre-recorded voice, it has made a massive difference in my running. Like I recently ran my longest run I've ever done, which is nothing to write home about. Um, and but I'm stronger, I'm I'm more confident than I've ever been before. And I'm I give the credit for this to the coaching that I'm receiving. Now, I I know this coach isn't actually there. He's probably in some sound room in Portland recording these sessions. But it has pushed me out of my comfort zone, even out of what I thought was possible. Now, the, the disciples' coach wasn't in a sound room in Portland. He was right there with them. He knew them. He knew their passions and their abilities. He knew their weaknesses and their strengths. He knew the struggles that they would face. And he showed them through his miraculous provision, like we sang earlier today, how great is our God. And he handed the disciples piece after piece and chunk after chunk and... Then he later handed out basket after basket to pick up all the leftovers that remained. And he was preparing them for the times to come when they would be hungry, spiritually, physically, emotionally. He was helping them not just understand, but know that God is able to provide. And that doesn't mean that he would always choose to. We don't get to see the full picture yet, But one day, I believe God will take us by the hand and he'll show us the storyline of our life. And he'll show us, you know that time when you cried and cried asking, why God, why? And he'll say, that's why. You didn't see all of the elements at play, but this is why. And we will know that God is good even in those dark nights of the soul that we walked through, God was good. For now, though, we tune our ears to the coach, the the one who isn't just in a sound room in Portland, but the one who knit us together, who formed us in our mother's womb, the one who purposefully placed us here and now, the one who's provided for us time and time again and who is now using the situations of your life to strengthen your faith let's continue reading verses 18 through 27 while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him he asked them who do the crowds say that I am they answered John the Baptist others Elijah still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying it's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now here we see one more area of on-the-job training. Jesus asks the disciples two questions. Who does everyone else say that I am? And more importantly, who do you say that I am? And these are important questions for all of us to consider. And in this situation in particular, it might seem strange because it's almost like Jesus didn't want people to know that he is God's Messiah, as Peter answered. But we need to remember that Jesus' primary purpose was to live a sinless life and die a sacrificial death in order to make atonement for our sins. And if that's too many church words, uh, try this. Jesus knew that you and I could not be saved unless he died in our place. And he walked this tightrope throughout his life, not just avoiding sin, but loving and serving people in such a way that would not prevent him from going to the cross. If the crowds knew that he was the Son of God, then they would have... Try to keep him there, to to stay and worship him, to elevate him as the king on earth. But he knew that his purpose was to die on the cross, to bring salvation. And that might sound backwards to us, but try thinking about it like this. Jesus had to achieve two missions. He had to die on the cross, and his disciples had to be ready to tell the news to the world. And if either mission was compromised, it would be disastrous. So after Peter answered him, Jesus was explicitly clear on what it would cost his followers. And there's no room for obliviousness. For his disciples to be ready, they needed to know what was ahead. They needed to understand not just what was to be gained, but also what was at stake. So he said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Now, this wasn't just a word for the 12, this is for all followers of Jesus throughout the ages. And the question is not how well do you follow Jesus? as we're sometimes tempted to focus our attention on, the question is, who are you following? The root of every sin is pride and self. So are we following Jesus, or are we following self? I think Augustine said it very well. He said, the way to Christ is first through humility, second through humility, and third through humility. If humility does not precede and accompany and follow every good work we do, if it's not before us to focus on, if it's not beside us to lean upon, if it's not behind us to fence us in, pride will wrench from our hand any good deed we do at the very moment we do it. This life is not our own. So do you live... As if it's your life or if it's the life that you've been given for God and for his kingdom. Is your first thought or question, how does this affect me? Or are your thoughts leaning toward the kingdom? Now as we continue on in the text, we're not going to read it this morning. But verses 28 through 62, the rest of this chapter is instance after instance after instance of the disciples missing it, dropping the ball, falling on their face, just totally messing up. And I don't know if it's encouraging or humbling, but this chapter is a story of the disciples, and they're on-the-job training. And we see the 12 in particular, but we see our story played out over and over again as well. Here with the disciples, we see them misunderstanding what's going on, failing to heal, even after being given power. Then we see them fighting over power and attempting to to act as judge and enforcer. And these are the people that Jesus handpicked for this job the ones that he knew were imperfect, who needed this on the job training. And you and I were not much different. You know, we have 66 books, better than any job description or employee handbook. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, guiding you and helping you fight sin and temptation. You have a church around you that's focused on carrying out the mission, and yet we fail over and over and over. Now, friends, That's the good news about grace. Not that we can just throw in the towel and say, oh well, at least there's grace. And if that's your attitude or perspective, that sounds more like pride than humility, and you likely need to examine what you're truly following. Instead, grace reminds us that we don't deserve a second or third or twelfth chance, but Jesus doesn't give up on us. His plan is still in the works, and he has accomplished his part of the mission, and he has brought us on board to join him in this work. So as we consider the training that he gave the disciples, here are three questions that I think we all need to ask ourselves to ensure that we are effective workers who are able to carry out the mission and stay true to the heart of the Father. The first question we all need to ask is, Am I willing to go? Like Jesus gave the disciples power and sent them out. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to take what he has given you to the places that he has put you? And this doesn't just mean being willing to help plant another church one day. This means, are you willing now to go have that awkward conversation with your neighbors where you say, I know you've told me your name I forgot. (laughs) I'm Alan. Can we start over? Are you willing to not just be discipled, but are you willing to be developed as a disciple maker? Are you willing to serve in a way that might be outside of your comfort zone? You may not feel ready, but I'm, I'm not asking if you're ready, I'm asking if you're willing. So that's the first question, am I willing to go? Second is, am I willing to grow? Like Jesus stretched and strengthened the faith of his disciples by feeding the multitude, are you willing to grow? Are you willing to be stretched? Sadly, all too many people have become content just to walk an aisle or say a prayer and just assume that they're hashtag good with God, right? But those people are missing out on all all that god would like to accomplish in and through their lives and you may not believe that you have potential to grow or accomplish that right now but i'm not asking if you're there i'm asking if you're willing to trust the coach if you're willing to be stretched and strengthened are you willing to grow and finally am i willing to give like Jesus gave the disciples the opportunity to answer that all-important question, who do you say I am? You and I have a similar opportunity. I mean, the secret is out. Jesus is the son of God, and he gave his life out of love for us. He gave everything. So our question is, am I willing to give? Am I willing to lay myself down to wake up each morning and take up my cross? Am I willing to pursue humility and reject pride? Am I willing to live for and from his gospel? I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm asking you to pursue the perfect one. Am I willing to give like he gave? And remember, The disciples received this training from the perfect teacher, but they failed over and over again. They were far from perfect themselves, but God used them to literally change the world. And what might he be able to do through us if we are willing to go and to grow and to give? I believe that he could transform our community. I believe that we could see this place saturated with the overflowing love of Jesus. So let's step up and begin using what Jesus has taught us because he's training us on the job. And we're not perfect. We will continue to need his grace. We will continue to need trained. But Lord willing, we will in time look more and more like him and our community will look more and more like the kingdom. Let's pray.